0: There was a joyful party aboard a ship that was in full swing, and speeches were being made by the captain as well as the crew, and guests were enjoying the week-long voyage. And sitting at the head table was a 70-year-old man who, somewhat doing his best to not be embarrassed, was doing his best to accept the praise that was being poured upon him by the captain and the crew and other guests on the ship. You see, earlier that morning, a young woman had apparently fallen overboard. And within seconds, this older gentleman was in the cold, dark waters beside her, and the woman was rescued, and the older man became an instant hero. And when time finally came for this brave passenger to speak, the stateroom fell to a hush, and he rose from his chair. He went to the microphone, and probably what was the shortest hero speech ever offered— he spoke these stirring words, I just want to know one thing, who pushed me? <laughs> now something like that older gentleman, sometimes we are motivated by circumstances and we don't have any other choice, we're, we're backed into a corner and we come out fighting, or trouble catches up with us and we just have to do what is necessary to survive, or we simply give in to peer pressure. But the motivation that God gives us to employ and use our spiritual gifts that he gave to each one of us is a completely different kind of motivation altogether. And in our text in Romans chapter 12, the Apostle Paul lists seven spiritual gifts, and these seven have been called the motivational gifts because it is apparent that in every one of us as believers in Jesus Christ, one of these gifts is your primary gift Of the Holy Spirit. There are certain passions, there are certain drives, and when you concentrate on the primary gift that God has given to you, God is going to open up your motivational drive. He's going to open up to you areas of ministry and service in the body of Christ, and in that you'll discover your gift mix, other gifts that you might have that are part of your gifts, but you're going to learn how to serve, and who you are to serve, and where you are to serve, And how God has gifted you specifically and gifted you uniquely to serve the body of Christ where you experience joy and fulfillment and effectiveness. And if each one of us as Christians properly understood his and her or her own motivational gift, it would not only motivate us to greater commitment and service, but it'll bring a whole new excitement to the body of Christ. You see, understanding your primary motivational spiritual gift and how it fits with the purposes of God has for your life is absolutely empowering and can incredibly give you some focus in your life about what you are supposed to do and what you really need to do. So please look again, once again, at Romans chapter 12, that sixth verse. Now, I'm just going to read the first part of it. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, Now, in the New American Standard Bible, the next few words are in italics. And it says, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. Now, if you see in the King James Version, the New American Standard Bible, words that are in italics, that doesn't mean they're emphasized. That's how we usually use words in, in English. But if the words are in italics, it means those words do not occur in the original Greek language. So the translators have added those words to help us understand the text here. Now, in the English Standard Version, which many of you use, they correctly add the words, even though they're not in italics, let us use them. Let us use them. So there are three things we need to understand about this. In the original Greek language, what Paul says here is in the imperative. That means they're commands their commands. Let us use them can be added to it here so we get the true meaning. If prophecy is your gift, use it. Use it in the proportion of your faith. If it's in service, use it. Command in your serving or he who exhorts, use it in your exhortation and on down the list. And the second thing we need to understand here is that grammatically, now this word will make you Well, it might blow you away or confuse you. But grammatically, it's called a a locative of sphere. A locative of sphere. In other words, what is meant by this is the idea that the one with the gift, for example, of teaching, should remain an exercise within that sphere of teaching. Be in a ministry of teaching. Be in a sphere of teaching. And should remain that. That's where the full, the most of the weight and The emphasis should be on your teaching gift. If you have the gift of teaching, remain in the sphere of teaching and don't go outside of it. Now, you may have a secondary gift in your gift mix of mercy, but don't go over and join the Sisters of Mercy (laughs) or spend all your time down at the soup kitchen, but remain in the sphere of teaching and then be merciful in your spiritual gift. You know, so your gift of teaching might be coming alongside to somebody who's really hurting and going through a hard time. And you have mercy for that person. But you can also, with your teaching gift, you could and should and would take them to God's word and teach them in a way that will be merciful to them. In other words, it basically says, whatever the primary motivation that God has given you, maximize it. Focus on it. That's where you're to put your strength and put your energy. And, and in fact, what this means is, is, you go through the pipeline of trying to discover what your spiritual gift mix is and your primary spiritual gift. You go back to Ephesians 2.10. You don't need to turn to it, but there is a good work that God has prepared for you in advance that you are to walk in it. Whatever that good work is, God has a primary motivational gift. God has a tool in you to use to build the body of Christ for the common good. Now, the third thing we need to understand about the seven motivational gifts is it doesn't matter what size the church is or what the background of the church is. Every church needs all seven of these gifts being exercised and happening in, in the church. For the church to be healthy... And for us as believers to be, grow and to be healthy, mature believers, all seven of these gifts need to occur in your life from other people. To become a healthy, mature believer, you need to have people who minister to you in leadership, mercy, exhortation, teaching, prophecy, service, and giving. If we want to be a healthy, effective church, we need gifted believers ministering to all of us in leadership, mercy, exhortation, teaching, prophecy, service, and giving. So now we come to the application of the last several weeks. To help you know and discover your primary motivational gift, we're going to walk through each one of these gifts specifically. And you'll find these in the handout in your bulletin. And we're going to spend the rest of our time this morning on the salmon colored sheet in your bulletin. And I've borrowed the descriptions of these spiritual gifts that we're going to walk through from Chip Ingram, who does a really good job at getting at the primary motivation uh, of each description. And in Ingram's descriptions, they correspond with the definitions that we've already used over the last several weeks, but he describes them in such a way that we can see where each one of us fits specifically. And if you look at the handout you'll see that under each description, there's a place to put an X or a check mark. It says yes, no, maybe. And so I'm going to talk about each one, give the characteristics of each gift, and then when we get finished with that gift, might this be your primary motivational spiritual gift? Yes, no, maybe. And just listen and put down a gut-level feeling after the description, and we talk about Does that describe with you? Okay, here we go. I'll give you the definition. I'll give you a few characteristics. I'll give you some warnings about the dangers of each gift. And then we'll we'll check it off. First of all, there's the gift of prophecy. Prophecy is the divine enablement to proclaim God's truth with power and clarity. In a timely and culturally sensitive fashion for correction, for repentance or edification, the ability to reveal God's word Accurately, Now, one of the good tests is that the people with this gift ask intuitively almost about every situation, what went wrong? What caused this? This is someone who, through their understanding of God's word, and, and has a sense and understanding of the culture in which we live, and understand the needs of the church and the people in the church, and God gives an alignment, as it were. There's an alignment of God's word, what God says about it, and what it means to the church and what it means in the culture that we live. So when they speak, they speak to the real issues and what the real needs are that need to be addressed from God's word. So what are the characteristics of someone with the gift of prophecy? They tend to be persuasive speakers. They, they can read people. They often are opinionated. They're very black and white about God's word and very black and white about what's going on in our culture related to God's word. And they know what's going on in the world. They're very perceptive to those things. And they know how God's word and how we are to live as Christians relates to the issues in our culture. And they'd often rather speak to larger groups rather than one-on-one or minister in a small group. Now, some of the dangers of this gift... They can have a a tendency to be proud of their speaking ability. They can depend upon their speaking ability at times rather than on the power of the Holy Spirit. And the people with a prophetic gift who want to make it right can come off as very insensitive to the feelings of other people. Okay, how about you? Yes, no, maybe? Does that describe you? Just give a quick shot in the dark. Don't overanalyze it. (laughs) Just check it off. Gift number two is service. Service is the divine enablement to attach spiritual value to the accomplishments of physical tasks within the body of Christ. It's the ability to demonstrate love by meeting practical needs that releases other Christians for direct spiritual ministry. The question with these people intuitively ask because of their gift is, what can I do to help? What can I do to help? The gift word here is our word diakonon. Does that sound familiar? It's translated deacon. In the Greek, it literally means to serve or to wait on tables. Some characteristics of this person, they don't need much public recognition. These people don't seek the limelight. They're content to work behind the scenes quietly to everybody else. They often like manual projects. They have an unusual ability to detect people's personal needs. These are the kind of people that when you talk to them or you have them in your house and there's just a little conversation, they come back later and they give you something that you need or they do something for you that you need. They really are attuned to meeting the practical needs of people. They're able to overlook personal discomfort in order to meet other people's needs. And they will often use their own funds and their own resources to make things happen. Now, there are some dangers with, to, with this gift. They can feel neglected if their deeds are not recognized. Now, they don't need a lot of limelight, and they don't like a lot of limelight, limelight but it's kind of like when they, they don't hear anything about what they have done, they wonder, does anybody care? A- am I really helping people here because I, I don't get any feedback on this? And, another danger is putting an overemphasis on practical needs to the exclusion of spiritual needs. Okay? Yes? No? Maybe? Some of you are looking to other people to see what you think you ought to answer. (laughs) That's okay. Because we know our spiritual gifts sometimes by the affirmation of others. The third motivational gift is teaching. Teaching is the divine enablement to understand and give detailed explanation biblical truth. It's the ability to search out and validate truth that has been presented. People with this gift are asking the questions, what is truth? Where did you get that? Where did that come from and why? The classical Greek word here for teaching is to impart information in order to develop talent and potential. It's the motivation and power to present with clarity the truth of God's word. People with the gift of teaching like to do a lot of research. They love to study. They read a lot of books. They have a lot of books on their bookshelf or in boxes in their shed in garage. They like to study down to the minutia. I mean, stuff that you and I, if you don't have the gift of teaching, think, well, that's not all that important, it matters to them. These are the people with the long charts. These are the people with the endless handouts that they hand out. And when you have the gift of teaching, you are very content, very doctrine-oriented. You love to do the research. You love to study. You love to read. These are the kind of people, too, when someone else is teaching, and this is kind of a neat part about it, if you have the gift of teaching and you're listening to somebody else teaching, lights are going off your head like crazy. You know, what about this? What about that? I wonder how this works. You know, it's like a ding, ding, ding. Is that true? Where did he get that? What about this? Do you think about this? And one thing I found about those who have the gift of teaching, they love to be taught. You know, all of us are to be teachable. If we're disciples of Jesus Christ, we are learners. we are You know, to be a disciple, you need to be teachable. But people with the gift of teaching are the most learnable people you'll come across, if that's a word. Because they just love to sit at the feet of other, of other teachers. Now, the danger of this gift is to concentrate too much on content to the exclusion of application. The danger is boasting or getting proud about their knowledge. The Bible tells us that knowledge puffs up. So we have to be careful about it. And another danger is being inattentive to the responsive students. See, if you have the gift of teaching, the truth is so wonderful, it's just like you love to swim in the truth. The truth is so wonderful that you can get caught up in it, even when you're speaking and teaching, and it's like the back row can be asleep, and what? Well, they're just missing out. (laughs) You know, this is all good stuff. Here's the truth, but did anybody apply it? I remember one time I was uh, preaching a sermon. I was talking about theology class and about a, a professor that I really loved, you know, in his class in theology. you know, But sometimes we would get so lost that we'd start doing this. You know, it's going over our head. The next Sunday morning, once not you know it? <laughs> I am preaching and people on the back row are going, <laughs> <laughs> now we know what to do when we lose him. Okay, yes, no, maybe. Does any of that apply to you? Maybe not everything applies, but uh, you got the gift of teaching maybe? Could it be? Could that be your primary motivation? And next is the motivational gift of exhortation. It's the divine enablement or power to come alongside another in need of encouragement, to reassure, strengthen, affirm, and notice this, challenge those Challenge those who are discouraged or wavering in their faith. It's the ability to stimulate the faith of others. People with this gift ask, what must be done to fix this? How are we going to fix it? These are fix-it people. But also, next they ask, how can we move this person to wholeness? To wholeness. The gift of exhortation comes from the word parakaleo. We've talked about that. It means to call alongside. The Holy Spirit, the the noun is the paraclete. The one who comes alongside to give encouragement, comfort, exhortation. To challenge even. To to convict. So this person comes alongside other people. And the best way to get at the definition of this is to see it as a coin with two sides. There's two sides to exhortation. You see, on one side, the goal is to bring wholeness to fix things. And often, it's comforting, it's loving, it's affirming. Oh, you've been through, tell me about. Oh, that's just, you know, how can we do to, to give you comfort? And they, they make great counselors. Oh, you've been through a hard time, and, or this happened to you. But on the other side of the coin is, if people don't change, or they're messing around, and they really don't want to change, the flip side of the coin, it's not just comfort, but it's also challenge. They're not only comforters, they will challenge those people. And they, you know, after they've given the comfort and it's dragged on for several weeks or months even, these are the people, the exhorters will get in your face and say something like, you know something, we, we've been talking or meeting or talking about this and praying together and getting in God's word for several weeks now. And you're still going on and on about that thing and the other and you're holding on to this hurt or, or this bitterness or whatever. We, we've looked into God's word together and you're just refusing to get better. You don't know anybody like that, do you? <laughs> the people with the gift of exhortation have a long fuse. They're loving, they're very affirming, but their goal is to help you get whole. And if you don't want to get whole, after a while, they'll cut you loose. And quite frankly, that's probably the right right thing to do. Characteristics of this person, they're gifted counselors. They can see practical application from Scripture. It really is a phenomenal gift. You know, we talk a lot, how can we be more like Jesus? With the gift of exhortation, it's really, how can we be like the Holy Spirit in our ministry? In our work, And so people with this gift see practically how to apply scripture and truth to your life. They call us to godly living. They initiate, they implore, they request, they entreat. These really are great people to have as friends. The dangers of this gift is they can spend too much time with people who only want temporary solutions to their problems. But people with the gift of exhortation have got to see people's lives change. And if people's lives don't change, and something won't be fixed, they can really get discouraged. Like, what's the deal? What am I doing wrong here? So how about you, the gift of exhortation? Are you motivated to say, hey, how can I fix this? How do I bring a person to wholeness? Yes, no, maybe. The next gift is the motivational gift of giving. This is the divine enablement to earn money, manage it well, and wisely contribute to the work of the Lord. With cheerfulness and liberality, it's the ability to entrust personal assets to others for the furtherance of their ministry. People with this gift ask the question what can I do, what can I give to meet the needs? What can I give to meet the needs? The word here is to share or to give. And it's not necessarily money, but primarily it shows up in people's finances. This is the person with generosity. And it says in Romans chapter 12, verse 8, he who gives, give with liberally or with liberality. The word for liberally there is the word haplos. It means literally to have a single eye, to have a clear focus, to see things as they, they really are. Characteristics, these people don't like the limelight. These people like to give anonymously. These people like to have a single focus, as we talked about. These people hate high-pressure tactics when it comes to needs and or or giving. They can smell manipulation in a New York minute. You know, they can tell. And somebody, the gift of giving just went right. <laughs> you know, they can see that. They can tell When people are trying to con them and put them on. And what they have is an ability to earn money, manage it wisely, and they see the opportunities. They don't have to be wealthy, but their primary motivation is giving. The danger of this gift is there can be a tendency to be proud of it as evidenced by this gift was given by Mr. and Mrs. so-and-so and and Mr. and Mrs. so-and-so, and and you got the plaque at the back of the church and and those kind of things, and... uh, So here's the plaque. Another danger is overemphasizing material needs to the exclusion of spiritual needs and judging others spiritually by their bank account or how they handle money. Again, they look at others through this this lens. And so they can become judgmental, people who just can't seem to get together financially. You know, there's this guy in the church with his family, and I mean, he's... You know, he's got a good job, and he has the gift of service, and he's always serving the church, but he's been working that job for 10 years, and I appreciate the guy, but his truck is the most beat-up, dumb truck I've ever seen, and his kids are still riding in the back, and that, that's dangerous, and my lands, he should just start tithing, and he should get himself together and his finances in order. You see, people with the gift of giving just go nuts when they see financial mismanagement. How about you? Yes, no, maybe. And the next motivational gift is that of of leadership. Leadership is the divine enablement to see what needs to be done, set goals, and then attract, lead, and motivate people to accomplish the work of the ministry. It's the ability to coordinate the activities of others for the achievement of common goals. And people with this gift are asking, what's the goal? Where are we trying to go? What's the target on the wall? And the other thing they're always asking is, what are the results? And so they say, okay, this activity that's going on in the church, it's a fine activity. You're saying, we're doing this, but show me. What are you accomplishing? What's the goal? And interesting in terms of definition, this is a person who gives vision and direction and can mobilize other people. Originally, as we saw last week, has the idea of someone who stands in front. It's the ability to lead. It's the ability to delegate, to take charge. They enjoy responsibility. This is the guy who wants to take the last shot, the last shot in the game. And if he misses, he misses. But he wants to have the ball in his hands. And when there's a vacuum and nothing is happening, the person with the gift of leadership is frustrated to death. It's disorganized. It's not going anywhere. It's the person who has the ability to see how things fit together, what needs to be done, how it can be accomplished. And the person with the gift of leadership has a way of where people are attracted to them and to, to the work. And the, picture, the, the person with the gift of leadership sees the big picture. They can mobilize people to get this done and get them in their own strengths, and their own spiritual gifts to accomplish this. The danger is they can use people to achieve their own selfish goals. The the danger is they can get proud or pushy with the power that's been given to them. We've got this building project, we've got to get it done, come on, get with it, how about you? (laughs) Okay, leadership, yes, no, maybe. And the final one is the gift of mercy. The gift of mercy is the divine enablement to minister cheerfully and appropriately to people who are suffering or undeserving. And to spare them the punishment or the consequences they justly deserve. It really is a wonderful gift. These are people that they know you have blown it. You've really blown it. And you can blame others and you try to blame others, but it really is my fault that I've done this and something in the people with the gift of ministry comes to help me in this but they want to help me and they also don't want me to suffer the consequences that that I really ought to get. They're they're merciful. It it really is like God, isn't it? It's the gift of mercy. It's a gift of wanting to withhold just consequences from those who Deserve it. Remember, mercy or grace is not getting what we—it's not—it's getting what we don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. And so, people with the gift of mercy are always asking the question: How can I make them feel better? How, how can I shield them from further consequences? So, there's a high identification with people's hurts and people's needs and what they're really going through. And the definition of the word mercy is at the heart. It, it, ar- it arouses an emotion where we really do feel the affliction of the needs of others that gets translated into action. There's just something in the heart. There's this compassion, this sympathy, and empathy that wants to reach out and help other people. And these people really got the antennas up, they, they really got this radar. And when there are needs, you know, they can focus on that need. You know, it happens in my family. I get home and my wife says, what was bothering so-and-so today? And I go with the gift of teaching, huh? (laughs) Because people with the gift of mercy, they know that, they sense that, they hone in on that, they're drawn to it, and they want to help. They really care, and they want to help people. And the dangers of this, the sense they feel the hurts of others so deeply, and that's what the word compassion means, what? To suffer with. If you have compassion, you're going to feel that hurt that they feel, some of it. And and so people with the gift of mercy are also easily hurt, easily hurt. Or they become too invested in the hurt of others, and they fall into compassion fatigue. How about you? Yes? No? Maybe? Maybe? But I want to close with an illustration. We're going to be short today. That, that's really odd. We might even close. I thought with this lesson today, we might even go over. But I think we're going to come up short. But I want to close with an from an illustration. And this illustration also comes from, from Chip Ingram. That I want you to once again think yes, no, maybe. And you'll find that on the bottom of the sheet. The waiter meets the family of God. And... Uh, the gifts are in a different order here, but now I just want you to go yes, no, maybe. And as we finish all this up, just be thinking because, you know, you may have a, some maybes, and those maybes may be your secondary gift in your gift mix. And so you might have a yes or a couple of yeses on a primary gift and go, okay, well, you can prayerfully get before God and in your study go, okay, which one, you know, is my primary gift, but this one's also in my gift mix. You can... You know, a lot of teachers also have the gift of prophecy. You know, which one, which one is dominant? And how should I be spending more in time? But I want to close with an illustration. Once again, just give your gut feeling when I've, when I've talked about What's your first instinct? So just suppose we're at a big Christian banquet. And this is a large church. It's a large auditorium in a large church. And the head table is sitting up here at the head. And there's all kinds of you folks out in there watching this. And believe it or not, at the head table, there's exactly seven Christian leaders seated at the head table in front of everybody. And each one of the leaders has a different one of the motivational gifts. And it's a big Christian banquet, so they're all godly. They all operate in the spirit of God in their gifts. And they're up here at the head table. Each one has, has a different gift. And they get to the point where they're clearing away the tables. And as they're doing it, clearing the tables, the dessert is coming out. And there's this very nice waiter who's been serving them. And he comes with this huge plate of desserts. And he's coming at the same time. Somebody else is clearing the table. And they go together, Very didn't see each one coming, and Everything goes all over the place. Dishes go all over the place. The desserts go all over the place. goes everywhere. It's in front of everybody who's sitting out in the auditorium. The microphone goes over. Bash. Every eye looks up. The waiter's there. He's got ice cream and chocolate and sundaes all over him. The main speaker looks like he's been dressed for a dog to come and lick chocolate off his vest. And then the gifts go into action. What is their initial impulse? So the person with the gift of prophecy gets up and says, I could see this coming. This was a mistake from the beginning. (laughs) I'll tell you what. You know, you really can't take away the plates and bring the dessert at the same time. His motivation is to correct life. Yes, no, maybe. That's you. (laughs) Maybe. The person with the gift of mercy jumps up and says, Oh, don't feel so badly. It could have happened to anybody. It's okay. Motivation, how can I relieve the embarrassment of the moment? Because there's just so much. Everybody's just totally embarrassed there. How can I relieve that? The gift of mercy jumps up and says, Oh, don't feel so badly. It could have happened. Did I already say that one? Yeah. The person with the gift of service goes, Okay, let me help. Let me help. Can I wipe this off? Can I clean this up? And he's picking up or she's picking up what's fallen down. The motivation is to fulfill a need. Yes, no, maybe. And the gift of teaching backs off. Boy, this is convicting. Because the person with the the gift of teaching always thinks their gift is the most important in these situations. And they step back and say, you know, the real reason this happened was not as you thought. That they were taking away the plates and bringing the desserts. The real reason is I've analyzed this, and you have six desserts on one side of the platter, and you have five desserts on the other side of the platter. And, you know, the equilibrium of this thing, and the balance. And if you wear those kind of shoes on that kind of carpet, well, you know, that's exactly what happened. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, no, maybe. Maybe. The person, person with the gift of exhortation jumps up and says, hey, next time I've got an idea. Why don't you just serve the dessert with the meal? And his motivation is, we'll protect this. We'll fix this for the, for the future. Yes, no, maybe. The person with the gift of giving looks and goes, okay, we, we've got a suit that's ruined here. We've got a microphone that's broken. I've got a carpet that really needs cleaning I'll throw in the first few bucks so we can reimburse this church. How about any of the rest of you, you know? Yes, no, maybe. And then finally, you have the person with the gift of leadership. And as all the other people were doing all of this, he steps up and he goes, Hey, Jim, could you get a mop? Uh, Sue, could you help pick up Mary? She's been on that floor for a little bit now here. Yeah. Get one more dessert, you know. We we need. Yeah. You know. I'll tell you what. Let, let's just make an announcement, Bobby. I tell you what. You know that song that you sang earlier? Just do it again and do it again and over and over again. And right now we're going to clean this mess up. Right now, and you get the jacket, okay? Everybody, in about fifteen minutes, we'll be ready to go again. Yes, no, maybe. Well. <laughs> All this has been is an instrument, a tool for you to take home to pray about. Maybe you've talked to somebody else that, that knows you pretty well. And, you know, take those maybes, take those yeses, take those noes, and start putting that together in, in, your spiritual, in your spiritual gift, how God has gifted you. Because as we go through now the, the rest of Romans chapter, chapter 12, It's just a a constant one. You know, if you look at verse 9, for example, look at that in Romans chapter 12 for a minute. Because we tend to put breaks in Scripture because they're little pieces that we can preach on easily or teach on easily. But uh, verse 8 says, He who exhorts, exhort. He who gives, give liberally. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. And then it literally says, Love without hypocrisy, without taking, taking a break. And then again, we, we add words, let love be without hypocrisy. And so, so even though we're moving on from the spiritual gifts, we're still looking in the rest of Romans chapter 12, what is my giftedness, how am I to serve? Now that I know my giftedness, and I'm going to work on that and learn from that and learn how to do it better from God's word and, and from experience, Paul is going to give us a long list of things. This is what the Christian life is, is, is all about. And so, like I said, after, let's see, five sermons about uh, Christmas and that kind of thing and 13 sermons about spiritual gifts, we're finally getting back in to, to Romans chapter 12. Okay, how many of you want to know where we go from Romans? Anybody thought of that? I'm thinking of the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke. So be in prayer with that, about that with me. Because uh, I think it's time we get into one of the Gospels. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, uh, this morning I'd like to thank you for the, the insight of a man by the name of Chip Ingram who has the prophetic gift and uh, how he's put this together so uh, we can better understand it both from your word and how it applies to our lives, Father. I thank you for those who who have a gift to really show us how to apply God's word, Father. And as we continue in the book of Romans over the next several weeks, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would continue to work in each one of our hearts and our lives as we learn of you and learn how to serve one another in love. And for this I do pray in Jesus' name. Amen.